All right, welcome to the Krug Show. Friday, 1045, we've got Chase Sr. back in the house from Chat Sports. Chase, good to see you, man. How was your Christmas? Getting ready for a big New Year's? Yeah, all has been good. I'm glad that we can connect after a couple of crazy weeks for me. I had a holiday party two Fridays ago, and then I was able to go back to Pennsylvania, spend a little time for some Christmas stuff, and then had to get back here because San Francisco playing on Christmas. Unfortunately, it was a little bit of a Christmas massacre instead of a Christmas miracle, but we're going to talk about that doing good and glad to be back on. Well, um, let's just jump right into it. I'm going to share the screen here because Kyle Van Noy had this to say, and we'll hear what he had to say, and then we'll give you get some thoughts from you on it. Here we go. This is the Ravens outside linebacker after the Ravens beat the Niners. But did we get the blueprint? Did we give the blueprint for the rest of the NFL? I think we did. I think everybody's going to write their notes down. I think D coordinators, people around the league are going to see what we just did to the Niners. And I think it's the blueprint. But There you go. He thinks it's the blueprint. Didn't say exactly what it is that they did. Um, there are a couple of thoughts that I have. One is, um, I think he may be right. I think he may be right. And I know people would be like, oh, you know, Kyle Van Noy, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, and a lot of Niner fans have pushed back hard on that. But um, I think we saw some things in this game that um, we haven't seen other teams do, which is they 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 brought extra pressure off the edges and got home on, on, on Brock Purdy and dropped people into the middle of the field, inside the windows that he has had a lot of success throwing into uh, throughout this year and just made his job more difficult. Um, and, and ultimately like they dropped the linebacker on the first, or they blitzed the linebacker on that first drive. He threw right behind him and Kittle got a big gainer. Well, then all of a sudden he started blitzing off the edges in these condensed formations. And they started either getting home or forcing that ball out quickly and then they had Kyle Hamilton and their defenders playing in a zone, and they just read the quarterback's eyes, sat in those where they anticipated him to be throwing balls into certain windows, and were there and got their hands on a lot of footballs and either arrived right on time and tipped it into the air and made the pick or actually broke it up. or you know, So they thought they had an impact, and, and I think that it's not like it's some huge secret, but I do think the commanders, Rams, and the teams in the playoffs – We'll watch that film intently and see how that disrupted uh, Brock's rhythm and Kyle's rhythm. What do you think? Yeah, I, I can see where Kyle Van Noy is coming from. And all throughout this week after watching that game, I've kind of been on the point where the numbers and the scoreboard looked a little bit worse than how the game actually played out to me. Yeah. When I was watching that game, I did not feel like San Francisco got dominated as far as game flow, as far as execution, I really just look at it as San Francisco turned the ball over five times. And when you were minus five in the turnover department, it's impossible to win. And in the NFL, when you lose the turnover battle, just in general, not minus five, especially against one of the best teams in the NFL, if not the best team in the NFL, with how they beat San Francisco, you lose between 70 and 80% of the time. And I put out a tweet that caught a lot of traction. It has half a million views at this point. 
The Niners had more passing yards than the Ravens, 308 to 241. The 49ers had more rushing yards than Baltimore, 121-102. Baltimore had the number one rushing defense in the NFL, and they were giving up the fewest points going in in the NFL. San Francisco also outgained Baltimore 429 to 343. And then when you look at yards per play, San Francisco had the edge there, 6.3 to the Ravens, 5.4. And some people have countered that with saying all of those are garbage time stats. No, they're not. Because San Francisco at halftime, when it was actually a close game, they were on pace for 500 yards of total offense. They had two turnovers in the red zone. Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle went off. Christian McCaffrey had more than 100 rushing yards. Did the Ravens do some things to confuse San Francisco? For sure. Did Brock Purdy look a little bit flustered and a little bit mentally rattled for maybe the first time of his career? Yeah, he did. Do I have some concerns about Baltimore playing zone defense? which really negates what Kyle Shanahan likes to do with all of the pre-snap motion to try to give his offense and the playmakers an edge to put them in a position to succeed and to beat the defense, no doubt. And maybe that's the blueprint that Kyle Van Noy is talking about, where defenses now are going to play a lot of zone. They're going to take away the middle of the field and take away the intermediate area of the field. But with Jimmy Garoppolo... And in these Kyle Shanahan offenses, they've always targeted the middle area of the field. And Kyle Shanahan's offense has been able to have so much success throughout his coaching career. Another big concern that I do have, Ravens came in with the most sacks in the NFL. And San Francisco gave up 22 pressures, its most since week one against Pittsburgh. When it's week one and you're still trying to figure out communication, snap count, timing along the offensive line, it's understandable that you can have those pressures given up, especially when Colton McKivitz was going up against T.J. Watt. And what happened last year for the Niners against the Cowboys and against the Eagles? They got their asses kicked in the trenches with their offensive line. And San Francisco has neglected and failed to really invest in that group outside of Trent Williams' large contract and Aaron Banks being a second-round pick. The Niners are 25th in team spending along the offensive line. So zone defense, offensive line, those are kind of my concerns, but the Niners were able to move the football. Brock Purdy, through the air, had a lot of explosive plays. Christian McCaffrey against the number one rushing defense still had a lot of success. If the Niners score a touchdown on that first drive, instead of Brock Purdy throwing that awful pick to Kyle Hamilton, in which Hamilton baited him into making that throw and Purdy didn't really see him, is it a different game? Because San Francisco is able to take that lead. So I don't think that the Niners got their asses kicked. I think the narrative that they got absolutely dominated and outclassed is false. I think Kyle Van Noy has some points. Maybe some teams are going to try to run that zone defense a little bit more. Maybe they're going to try to bring edge pressure. But can you counter that with the little screen? Can you counter that with the draw? Can you counter that with Christian McCaffrey leaking out of the backfield after faking pass pro where you can dump it off to him or George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk on a little bit of a flare in route and you dump it off to him because they're bringing that pressure off the edge. There are ways for San Francisco to make the necessary adjustments, but also at the same time, it's kind of a conversation here that I'm having of two things can be true at the same time. You're looking at the Niners' performance against Baltimore. They really struggled. The Niners against Cleveland, they really struggled. 
The Niners against the Bengals, they really struggled. Those are good defenses with really good defensive coordinators who have had Kyle Shanahan's number. Well, and it makes you wonder, is the AFC the better conference? Yeah. I mean, is it? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I thought the Niners and the Eagles were the two best teams in the NFC, but then watching the way the Niners have handled Philly and Dallas and the way that they've been handled by some of those AFC teams makes me wonder if the AFC is just the better conference. Yeah, and Brock Purdy's really struggled against the AFC throughout his entire career. If you look at some of the splits between the AFC and the NFC, he's far better against the NFC. And that's not all that surprising because he simply doesn't have a lot of familiarity going up against AFC opponents. And if you want to have the conversation about which conference is better, I just think that Baltimore is really, really good. But outside of Baltimore and the AFC, who are you really confident in? I know that the Browns are on this miraculous run, and this Joe Flacco story has been sensational. Incredible. I yeah. never thought that I'd be saying this in late 2023, where last night I was excited to watch Joe Flacco, but he's still Joe Flacco, and he's thrown a lot of interceptable passes, and he's thrown a lot of picks so far. Um, but in his five games, he's thrown only one less touchdown than Deshaun Watson did in 12 games as a Brown over the last two years, and he's played really well. They brought that explosive element. I really like Kevin Stefanski's offense. They can run it. They can throw it, and that defense is excellent, but they have some question marks. This Chiefs team is simply not the same team that they were last year. The Miami Dolphins have beaten one team with a winning record this year, and that's the fraudulent Dallas Cowboys. The Buffalo Bills are really scary, but they might have to go on the road in the wild card round to take on a Kansas City team if that's the 3-6 matchup. So Baltimore is really good. I'm not sure if the AFC is so much better than the NFC. Maybe they're a little bit less flawed, but it does bring up an interesting scenario where you try to predict who's going to make it to the Super Bowl. I still think San Francisco is the team to beat in the NFC because they're the most complete. I do worry about their inability to come back from deficits both just in general, but also in the fourth quarter. We know that dubious Kyle Shanahan record. And with those physical defenses, especially some of them in the AFC North, if San Francisco meets those teams, how do they fare? I'd like to see the Niners go up against the Ravens again, and I think that they'd have some more answers. And I'm not too concerned about this Niners defense. Everybody wants to say they gave up scoring drives, seven straight scoring drives for the first time since 2005. Yeah, but the Niners also turned the football over in the red zone, taking points off the scoreboard and around midfield. And when you have to defend Lamar Jackson, that running game, and Lamar has the best weapons that he's had so far in his career, he's so difficult to contain as a player too. That's easy doing for Baltimore. And as soon as they take over around midfield, they're within Justin Tucker field goal range to put up points on the scoreboard. Um. I want to share the screen because you had a, a a tweet that went viral this week, or at least was I thought went viral. It seemed like it it had fifty seven thousand people watched it, um, and I'm going to play it here for people who didn't see this. This is you talking about Brock Purdy and the in the criticism that he's gotten. Um, here it is. Here we go. This is Chase earlier. This one is thing on I really don't understand why people seem to have so much hate on Brock Purdy and they're praying for his downfall. Usually people get behind an underdog story like Purdy's 
but not with him. And you think about his path. He made Iowa State of all schools a nationally relevant program in a powerhouse conference like the Big 12. He was passed up by multiple teams in the NFL draft and was Mr. Irrelevant. He made the 49ers 53-man roster as a third stringer, then had to step in for Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance when they got hurt, then went 7-0 and and won two playoff games before getting hurt in the NFC Championship game. Undergoes that elbow surgery, comes back before anybody could have predicted and was ready for the preseason and the regular season. He's now 16-4 and four as a starter, and his teammates rave about his character, his personality, and his leadership. He's humble and treats people with respect, but he has one bad game against the Ravens, and everybody's celebrating him failing? I don't get it. What do you think? Let me know. So that got a lot of response and, and it is interesting. It, it did seem like there were an awful lot of people just kind of waiting around going, can't wait to be like, this guy's not the MVP. Um, and it's just, it's amazing really. I mean, you th- you think that they would, people would, it's a great story either way, but for whatever reason, people aren't gravitating towards it and seem to be almost celebrating the fact that he had a high profile, you know, a dud of a game and may have lost the MVP in the process. It just seemed like people were excited about that. Yeah. And a lot of the feedback that I got when I asked for those responses, and I had that crafted in a regular tweet, well, as well as a video, because I wanted to put that video up on our YouTube shorts. Everybody is like, well, he was dropped into a perfect situation and that's why people don't really like him. It's like, we're ripping a guy who was taken last in the draft, has exceeded all expectations. I think, frankly, people are doubting him and ripping him because they never gave him any credit and don't want to give him any credit because everybody passed up on him and they missed in their evaluations. But your reason for not liking him is that he was dropped into a scenario in which Kyle Shanahan was his coach and he had offensive weapons like Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, and George Kittle. I don't really get it. And a lot of the talk, I think, comes from a lot of casuals. They want to say that Brock Purdy was benched. He threw four interceptions. He suffered a stinger for the second consecutive week. The game is out of hand. You don't want him going back in that game. And you're just looking at the box score there saying, oh, he threw the four interceptions. If you actually watch the game, I thought that one pick was really bad, and that was the aforementioned red zone interception to Kyle Hamilton. He went through his progressions. He was late to get to Debo, and Kyle Hamilton was lurking, and he kind of baited Purdy into making that throw. That was an awful throw. But then on the corner blitz with Stevens on the fake handoff quick screen, what a play by Stevens to diagnose that play, number one, bat the football up in the air, and then the defensive lineman... 15 feet away is able to come down with that. The throw to George Kittle, I actually thought was on Kittle because he tried to catch it with his body instead of trying to put his hands out there. And while Kittle had a big game and he put up a lot of numbers, I thought he failed on that play. He failed on another dime that Brock Purdy threw on the far sideline in which he layered the football over the defensive back. He got hit on another interception. So when Kyle Shanahan talks about these picks as one of them being really bad, I actually agree because I thought one was a really bad throw on Purdy. The other three were kind of fluky interceptions, which didn't go their way. And that's why I'm not panicking all that much about Purdy. That's why I'm not panicking all that much about San Francisco. And going back to the casual talk, yeah, Purdy has all these weapons, right? 
But his offensive line has been awful. He's thrown from some of the fewest clean pockets among all quarterbacks in the NFL. And you look at his overall numbers this year, he's still number one in multiple categories among all quarterbacks in the NFL. And it comes down to executing. And Brock Purdy's been able to execute. And I think that people think of him as the last pick. He doesn't have a bazooka for an arm. He's a little bit smaller in stature. And they love to just pile on a kid who carries himself, who has all these intangibles, who seems like a really polite guy. You know that with all of your interactions with him. And what he's done in his two years should be a story that everybody is rooting for. This guy's Mr. Irrelevant, the underdog story. And for him to be the odds-on favorite to an NFL MVP going into last week, he has a bad game against the number one defense in the NFL and an organization that prides itself on toughness and kicking your ass. It's not a surprise that he struggled, but he's still 11-4 and four this year. He's completed 69% of his passes. He's thrown for more than 4,000 yards with two games left. He leads the NFL in touchdown percentage. He was just leading the NFL in yards per attempt, and he's still thrown... 29 touchdowns to 11 picks and played really, really good football. So I don't know. The Niners are a really high profile team. They're always atop the television ratings. And I think that people just like to pile on a team that is having a lot of success, but it does just really boggle my mind how people seem to be really rooting for him to fail. When in reality, this is one of the coolest stories that we've ever seen in recent NFL memory, in my opinion. To me, he's an easy guy to root for, but yeah. whatever, uh, yeah. to each their own. Roberto Davis says either Purdy is a very good <clears throat> NFL quarterback or Kyle Shanahan is coach of the year. It's got to be one or the other. Yeah, I mean, it can't be, you know, Purdy's, uh, you know, Purdy's just, a you know, lucky to be there and Shanahan's, you know, uh, not that great and overrated. Either, either Shanahan's this amazing coach that's making Purdy or Purdy's pretty damn good. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, either one you can't, and I don't think Shanahan's going to win coach of the year votes. So, Kevin you know, Stefanski should. I, I, I thought Lamar though, in this last game was spectacular. And I thought McDonald, the defensive coordinator for the Ravens had some really interesting wrinkles. And I just think that they played a, a really good game. I mean, uh, they got a couple lucky bounces, but Kyle Hamilton's a special football player yep. and they've got some rugged defensive players for sure. But like, if the Niners played the Ravens again, it wouldn't be. Oh no, you know this team's unbeatable. Uh, I don't, I don't think the 49ers feel that way. I don't. I know I don't feel that way. I, I really want to see the 49ers play the Ravens again because I do think that San Francisco matches up well with this team. I think their strengths combat one another, and I think that San Francisco would be able to have success again. Think about this: like the Niners against the number one defense in the NFL. We're on pace for 500 yards, and they put up more yards per play, more passing yards, more rushing yards. They outplayed the Ravens in some ways, but again, five turnovers is literally impossible to come back from. So if you play a cleaner game, and if you execute a little bit better, I think that San Francisco can have success against this team. And who's to say and this is for the conspiracy theorists out there, that Kyle Shanahan didn't want to reveal everything in the playbook because he knows that maybe the 49ers are going to play up against the Ravens again. But again, if you go back and watch the tape, there were a lot of explosive plays to Christian McCaffrey, to Brandon Ayuk, to George Kittle, all throughout the game. And then Sam Darnold was able to come in and he was able to have success as well in moving the football. And despite turning it over five times, if San Francisco was able to score right before the two-minute warning there, 
They have three timeouts, the two-minute warning, and if they get the ball back, they still have an opportunity to tie the game despite being negative five in the turnover department. That's how fluky and weird of a game this was, and that's why I'm not overly panicked about San Francisco right now. Uh, we got this one from Daryl, who says, Daryl, Fortnite er for life. Uh, Smock says, listen, Larry Chase, those people who rip uh, on Purdy only wish their team had gotten him. The haters are going to hate, so let them hate. I love it. So there you go. That's probably well said. What do you think of uh, Niners commanders this weekend? Just, you know, the commanders on paper don't look that good. Their defense is ranked 32nd in points. Um, and they're, you know, the Niners, though, are 0 4 in games where they score less than 20. They do have Jerron Payne. They do have Jonathan Allen. Um, you know, what do you think? I mean, do you, do you like the commanders to, to make this close, or is this going to be a blowout in the Niners' favor? Uh, Washington's defense doesn't look that great, and they've lost Montez Sweat, and obviously Chase Young is now a Niner. They will be going with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback and not Sam Howell. What do you think of the matchup? You're a betting man. I'm a betting man. A lot of people watching out there are betting men and women. This is what you call a stay-away game, in my opinion. And why is that? San Francisco is really banged up. They're coming off a short week. They're 13 and a half point favorites. They're playing on the road, cross country travel, and it's the early window. So I'm not going to bet this game. And I don't like San Francisco minus 13 and a half. I think that number is a little bit too large. They could easily cover. They could easily rebound from that Ravens disaster. And they could end up winning this game to ease everybody's concerns. But for me, I'm staying away from this game. And one of the matchups that does concern me a little bit is Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen at defensive tackle against the 49ers interior offensive line. And even though that the commanders are without Montez Sweat and Chase Young, who they traded, Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen are really good players. And Jake Brendel's a little bit of an undersized center. Spencer Burford, frankly, just might not be very good. And Aaron Banks might not play because he re-aggravated that toe injury. I'd actually be surprised if he played, considering his importance to this team. And if the commanders are able to blow up the middle and interior of this Niners offensive line, and Brock Purdy has pressure at his feet, in his face, coming up through the gut of that line, and the Niners can't run the football then there are reasons to be a little bit concerned. And that's another reason why I think this is one of those stay away spots for betters out there, because everything kind of screams to me that this is one of those games where you just want to go to FedEx field in Maryland and you want to escape with the win, and you just want to get back for week 18 for what's going to be a massive, massive matchup potentially against a Los Angeles Rams team that frankly I think is very, very scary and a Rams team that I think could pull off one of the big upsets in the NFC playoffs. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I The Niners now have their backs to the wall, and they've got to win these games. I, I just I, I can't think that they they would lose this game. I, to me, it seems like uh, they're going to go and they're going to take this commander's team apart, but it's the NFL, and anything can happen. I mean, it's, it's just you never feel good in the NFL about really feeling like you have a good handle on what you're going to see week to week. Um, you know, the, the, Jacoby Brissett may play great. He he has played really well the last couple of weeks. 
replacing Howell coming off the bench, completing a high percentage of his passes and leading scoring drives. They have weapons. Uh, Terry McLaurin's a true number one receiver. I mean, it's not outside the realm of possibility that Washington could win this game. What do you think of Danny Gray's practice window being open? Do you think the Niners will activate him? I think it's pretty interesting, and he was a full participant, so he does have an opportunity to play. And if Jawan Jennings is still in concussion protocol, the Niners released Willie Sneed, who surprisingly got action against Baltimore last week. Chris Conley was also in the game at moments, too. So who would you rather have, a Willie Sneed type of player, a Chris Conley type of player, or would you rather put in Danny Gray, who I think this offense could really use because San Francisco's kind of been lacking a skill set like that over the last couple of years. And you think about a player like Emmanuel Sanders and what he was able to bring to this team a couple of years ago in that run in 2019 as that vertical field stretcher. I think having an option like that can just help out. Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, and George Kittle, because when you're able to stretch the field vertically, that's when those crossers and that's when those underneath routes are able to open up a little bit because the defense does have to account for a player like that. I'm not sure if Gray is going to be activated or play at all, and I think it kind of comes down to Kyle Shanahan's stubbornness. He often does not have a lot of trust into younger players. And he won't play them, especially when they barely played football at all because they don't do the little things right. And he might not be a good pass blocker downfield. And he might not understand the offense all that much. And Lair, you've been at a lot of practices. You know that Danny Gray, his hands are a little bit spotty where sometimes he looks really good with that 4-3 speed that he was able to clock in the pre-draft process. And I really liked him coming out of SMU. And he'll catch some balls, but then he'll drop some balls. And ball security is a little bit of an issue. And coming off a game in which you turned it over five times, are you willing to take that risk? I would take that risk because I want to see if this guy can be a weapon. Shoot, he was a third-round pick. And if you're going to experiment with it, experiment with it against a commander's team that you should beat, who has struggled in the secondary, whose safety play isn't all that good, and see if he can actually add a different dimension to this offense the last couple of weeks going into the playoffs as well. Uh, Late-breaking story as we were just talking here. Adam Schefter is reporting that the commander's quarterback, Jacoby Brissett, is being added to the injury report. He's got hamstring tightness. Interesting. And they're going to list him as questionable for Sunday's game. And obviously, if he can't start, Howell would start. Howell is interesting. He's he's put up good numbers. He's got a good arm. He's yeah. got mobility. I remember him in North Carolina having days where he ran for over 100 yards. So he's got mobility and arm strength. But, man, he holds the ball a long time. He's taken 60 sacks this year. Uh, he's had some struggles as the year's gone on. Uh, what do you think? If you're a Niner fan, should you – I mean, Brissett's hardly a world beater. Should the Niner fans be rooting for – Brissett to play or would you rather is it an easier game against Howell or against Brissett I, I really don't think it matters all that much um you know this commander's team their offensive line is absolutely horrific it is and so hurt. bad and what the commanders have had to do the last couple of weeks with Jacoby Brissett he's put up some good numbers and when you look at the scoreboard they've had some close losses but they've they've been down big around halftime going into that second half. He's really had to lead them back, and they've had a couple of these fourth-quarter flurries where they're able to put together a couple of touchdown drives, and I think that's a lot due to the fact that Jacoby Brissett is a really experienced player, but he's a backup for a reason. He's one of the top backups in the NFL, 
but he's failed to have really sustained success. But he is able to bring something to the table that Sam Howell isn't, and that's experience. That's be the, the ability to be able to really dissect defenses, get the ball out in the right spot. He's pretty accurate. He has a solid arm. He's not the athlete that Sam Howell is. What really stood out to me earlier in the year, because that Washington offensive line was bad when Sam Howe was playing, I actually thought that Eric Bieniemy did a pretty good job of negating the opposition's pass rush, where he caught a lot of quick passes from Sam Howe out to those receivers, and they have a couple of really good weapons on that commander's team that you were talking about that really stand out on tape as well. And for San Francisco's defensive line going up against this commander's offensive line, if Hal does play, I think that's going to be a big part of the game plan with that bad commander's offensive line, getting the ball out quickly to negate that pass rush a little bit. And that's with the commanders probably knowing that this 49ers team has really struggled to tackle in moments. And challenge them to tackle in open space by getting rid of the football quickly and trying to protect your quarterback. What do you think about Jair Brown? It's funny. It's like you, I saw knee sprain. I figured he's going to be out a couple of weeks, but John Lynch has gone on the radio locally and said that, you know, it, it's a knee sprain. He says there's timelines on that, but those are just that timelines. Uh, Jair's eager. He's young, so he's healing quickly. It's one of those things that's going to go right down to the wire. I know he wants to play. He's been out moving around. We'll see if he can make it. If not, Logan Ryan will fill in. We feel very confident that he'll do a really good, uh, a no, uh, really good. He will do really good. A number of our injuries this week are going to be kind of going down to the wire. When he says that, he means, you know, as far as game time decisions. Um, I mean, the Niners love Jair Brown. I mean, he's a high character guy. He's tough as hell. He can play in the box. He can play down the field. He can play yep. coverage. He's he's got a huge future, and I'm sure he is healing fast. Uh, but what do you think? I mean, would you know, do you, do you think Jair Brown goes in this game or do they go to Logan Ryan and Logan Ryan? You know, we're talking about an 11 year vet. He's only played 12 defensive snaps since he came aboard. Um, he may have to assume a, a big role in this game against the commanders if Brown can't go. Yeah, I love Jair Brown as well, and I think that the Niners should err on the side of caution here and not play him in this game, especially if that Rams game becomes really critical with the Rams fighting for a playoff spot and potentially San Francisco really fighting for home field advantage in that number one seed in the a uh, NFC in that Week 18 matchup. You want to be able to have Jair Brown against that Rams team or in the playoffs because you're already really light at safety. You're without George Odom biceps. You're without Talano Hufanga with that torn ACL. And Brown is a player who one of the biggest compliments that you can give a young player when they have to come in for an all pro in Talano Hufanga is when you're not really talking about them on the defensive side of the football. Because when you are sometimes in that secondary, that means that they're getting beat. That means that they're giving up plays and explosives, and they're not playing all that well. But Jair Brown is a player who I really liked in the pre-draft process. Before coming to Chat Sports, I actually covered Penn State football. I know that James Franklin's game management is awful, and he can't beat Ohio State and Michigan, but Penn State has done one of the best jobs of recruiting, developing, and getting players who are really high-end pro players drafted really high. And Jair Brown was excellent at Penn State, loved his versatility there. Before Penn State, he went to Lackawanna College, which is one of the best JUCO schools in the entire country. And when you look at his pro football focus grades, he has passed 
with flying colors. 275 coverage snaps. So that's a pretty solid sample size right there. Overall grade of 78 a run defense grade of 77 and a half. So like you said, he can play in the box in the slot, little hybrid linebacker and deep. And then he has a coverage grade of 74.5. And then he has two interceptions to his name as well. And I've always liked his instincts, his ability to kind of read and diagnose things, be in the right place at the right time and make clutch plays. His passer rating when targeted is 98 and a half. So it's not all that good. Um, but Jair Brown has been a, a really, really good player. And I actually had him go into the Niners in a couple of my mock drafts on the 49ers report because you kind of figured, okay, Deshaun Gibson, really good season, really good two years up until last week in which he was penalized a lot. Um, still hasn't given up a touchdown in coverage this year. That's the best among all safeties, but look, he's older and you needed to get another safety to pair alongside Hufanga. And if you have Hufanga and Jair Brown, that's a really good safety tandem moving forward. And I just don't want to risk any further injury against a bad commander's team. Yeah, it's going to be, you know, especially in a game that you you probably should be able to win. Um, but they're pretty thin. I mean, you know, yeah. they lean on Taylor Hawkins. He's on the practice squad. But they got Logan Ryan and Isaiah Oliver are the two guys that they're going to be first up. Uh, at safety, according to Steve Wilkes. How about the O-line? How concerned are you? I mean, you know, Trent Williams, it sounds like practice yesterday. He's going to go. He's got a groin pull, though. It's not 100%. Jalen Moore, the swing tackles, got a concussion. So, I mean, they had to move some guys around. They lost Il Manning um, in, to waivers this week. I think Carolina might have grabbed him um, because they needed a tackle, and they had to re-sign Matt Pryor and – and, you know, they had Ben Barch at left guard last week. I mean, really, outside of Jake Brendel, the whole entire line has been reshuffled. I would imagine it's going to be Trent at left tackle, Barch at left guard, because I think um, Banks with the turf toe will be out. Brendel will be at center, Feliciano at right guard, and McKivitz at right tackle with Burford on the bench. That That's probably the configuration they go with. But last week, they were forced to put Burford at right tackle, and, you know, coaches never like to say anything bad, but Chris Forster had to admit that he was he had he really struggled out there mightily. So, I mean, that that to me was one of the main reasons why they didn't go back to Brock is that Burford was just absolutely horrible at yeah. right tackle in the fourth quarter against the Ravens. He was awful at right tackle, and he's been awful at right guard. I mean, let's call it like it is. He's been bad at right guard, and he's looked a little bit slow. So then you have to put him out at tackle where you need a little bit more quickness, explosiveness, and speed, and he was terrible. And then you had to move Colton McKivitz, who has become accustomed to playing right tackle to left tackle, and Jadavion Clowney was making him look like a little boy. I mean, he was eating his lunch. And I don't like to say disrespectful things about players sometimes because I understand that it is really, really hard to play at the NFL level, but Burford and McKivitz were awful. And there's really no other way to put it. So I'm going to keep it a buck anytime I can keep it a buck. And, you know, I said this this week on my show as well, Larry, like my biggest concern coming out of the Ravens game, it's not that the Ravens may have figured out the Niners offense. It's not that Brock Purdy threw four picks. It's not the defense, which had trouble containing Lamar and gave up those seven straight scoring drives. It is this offensive line, because when you look forward to the playoffs, you might have to take on a Cowboys team really good defensive line. You might have to play the Philadelphia Eagles. You might have to play the Detroit Lions. You might have to play the Rams with Aaron Donald and a couple of really good young players. And to the Rams credit, 
they've drafted and developed really, really well, which has allowed them to kind of fast track this rebuild a little bit to the point where they're really scary. It's this offensive line. And this offensive line can be the lone reason why the 49ers did not fulfill their expectations and their potential of getting back to the Super Bowl or winning the Super Bowl. And this, this, this was the same issue last year. Against the Cowboys, their offensive line got manhandled. Against the Eagles, we know what happened. Their offensive line did not play well against a Philly team last year, which had 70 sacks. Now, the Eagles this year are not getting to the quarterback at the same rate but they still have some really good players who kind of match up favorably against San Francisco. Now, to the Niners' credit, their offensive line played really, really well against the Eagles back in Week 13, and prior to Monday night, they had been playing a little bit better as far as protecting Brock Purdy and not giving up sacks. But you went up against a Ravens team, number one in sacks, that's very deep, has a lot of talent, and they owned you. And in the playoffs, in the Super Bowl, you might be going up against a uh, defensive line like that or a team like that. And you look across the board at what happened with that Niners offensive line. This is part of the reason why Brock Purdy was kind of seeing ghosts and throwing some interceptions. He didn't feel confident back there, and he didn't have a lot of time to throw because the pockets were muddied. Colton McKivitz gave up nine pressures and two sacks. Spencer Burford, four pressures and a sack. John Feliciano and Aaron Banks gave up three pressures. Jake Brendel and Trent Williams only gave up one. That's good for 22 total pressures, four total sacks against Baltimore, and the previous high in 2023 for the Niners, 15 pressures given up against the Steelers in week one. So that's seven more pressures than your previous high. So I am really, really concerned about this offensive line, and it's my biggest concern for this football team with the playoffs quickly on the horizon. How concerned are you about how good the Rams are looking? Very concerned because Matthew Stafford right now is elevating everybody else. And I know that Kyle Shanahan has owned Sean McVay in the regular season. McVay got him in the 2021 NFC Championship game. Niners shouldn't have lost that 10-point lead going into the fourth quarter. The Jaquaski tart interception did not help. But you think about what the Rams do really well. Usually you think about the Rams as just solely a passing team. And this year, they're doing that. Matthew Stafford is really elevating his teammates. Puka Nakua is a problem. Yeah. Cooper Cup is still elite. Tyler Higby is a really good tight end. But for the last couple of years, what have the Rams not done at all? They haven't been able to figure out their running game, and their offensive line has been bad. But now this Rams team which is running pre-snap motion, which can confuse you on 99% of the snaps. Their offensive line is better, and they're running the football. Kyron Williams has missed, I think, four games this year, but he's number two in the NFL behind Christian McCaffrey in rushing yards, and he's top five in rushing yards per game. So their ability to run the football has made them more dangerous in throwing the football, which they were already really, really good at, and Matthew Stafford can burn you. And defensively, they're giving up a lot of points, but they're scoring a ton. But their defensive line is really good with a couple of really young players. And at linebacker, they're pretty solid. And they're just really, really well coached. And I think that Kevin Stefanski is most likely going to win coach of the year. Four quarterbacks this year. Still an opportunity at the one seed. You know, D'Amico had a chance, but the Texans have fallen off a little bit. Shane Steichen, I thought, was in the running. Uh, but the Colts losing to the Falcons last week hurt them. 
you know, Sean McVay should be in the running for coach of the year with Stefanski. Remember before the year, everybody was talking about, oh, the Rams, they might tank for Caleb Williams. They might trade away Stafford and Aaron Donald. They're going to be awful. They're eight and seven. They've won five of six. Um, they beat the Browns, which the Niners lost to. They went to overtime with the Ravens on the road and lost on a punt return for a touchdown in the overtime period. This Rams team is legit, and I don't want to see them in the playoffs if I'm San Francisco because no. that would also be the third time, too. Well, and also they can score 30 to 35 points a game right now. I mean, yeah. with Puka and Cup and Atwell and Stafford and Kyron, and I mean, they get they just... They got a lot of really, really good offensive weapons and their offense is real. And it's going to be a real challenge for anybody. I had Jason lock and four on the radio last Friday. And he said that if the Cowboys and Rams play in the playoffs, he thinks the Rams will for sure knock off the Cowboys. Oh, I'd love to see it, <laughs> uh, which would, you know, that would be something, but I could picture it. I could picture it. Um, if the Rams are the sleeper in the NFC, are the Browns now the sleeper in the AFC? I mean, scary moment, by the way, with um, what we saw with the receiver whose arms were kind of shaking wildly. Um, Elijah it, Moore, right? Elijah Moore. Yeah, yeah, that was scary. But man, Joe Flacco is playing at a really high level. Um, their defense is still, you know, big time defense. And if you look at the numbers, I mean, Flacco's throwing for three bills almost every week there. Yeah. Yeah. What do you what do you think? I mean, are the I mean, Chiefs don't look like a world beater. Buffalo may not even get in. Uh, Jacksonville doesn't look like the team. And then, you know, you look at you look closer Miami. You don't know what you're getting week to week. We'll see what Miami Baltimore looks like this weekend. But to me, the Browns might be the, the scary team that nobody wants to play suddenly in the AFC playoffs. How how likely is it that the Browns could make the Super Bowl? Oh, I think that they can they can make it. I think they have the ingredients to make it back. And Joe Flacco in 2012, I know it resulted in a Niners loss in the Super Bowl that year. He threw 11 touchdowns in one pick. And during that New England Patriots dynasty, what was the Patriots kryptonite in the AFC? It was the Baltimore Ravens. And Joe Flacco has a tendency for playing really, really good football when the lights are the brightest and when the stage is the biggest. And this year, it's honestly been one of the more fascinating storylines that I can remember in recent time. The dude was on his couch. You know, he was with the Jets last year. They didn't even give him an opportunity. Once Aaron Rodgers went down, he could get no jobs. He's signed to the Browns practice squad, and now he's slinging it. He's dropping dimes 50 yards downfield. He has the deep ball that he was displaying in Baltimore, which made him really, really dangerous. And in that offense with Kevin Stefanski, with the run game, of Jerome Ford, who has played excellent, uh, especially of late. He was awesome last night against the Jets. He's made some people forget about Nick Chubb, and a lot of people thought without Nick Chubb, the Brown season was going to be over. And when you think about the ingredients for a Super Bowl type of team, multifaceted offense, good quarterback play, a run game that helps out the pass game, weapons on the outside, they have that with Amari Cooper. They have a good tight end and David Njoku. They can run the football well. I really like the offensive play calling from Stefanski. They have a good offensive line. They also can get after the quarterback. And their secondary at corner, their secondary at safety is really good. 
Jeremiah Usu-Koromoa, who I like coming out of Notre Dame, seems to finally be able to put it together a little bit. So that team is really well-rounded and strong, and I think that they are a sleeper team that can make it to the Super Bowl in the AFC. And if you want to go sleeper team, I'm going to go Buffalo Bills as well because they're technically the sixth seed right now. And you think about what we could see in the playoffs. This is why the football, or this is why football is the best. We might see Joe Flacco against the Ravens in Baltimore in the second round. We might see Matthew Stafford on the road against the Lions. We might see the repeat of the 13-second game between Josh Allen and the Chiefs because right now that would be the 3-6 matchup. We could see Niners-Cowboys again, Niners-Eagles again. We could see the Rams upset one of the top teams in the NFC. It is shaping out to be a very, very compelling playoffs, both in the NFC and in the AFC. Are you a college bowl guy? Will you be watching these bowl games today? For sure. I, I actually might go to the Cotton Bowl tonight. I might pull the trigger on a on a last-minute ticket purchase for Ohio State, Missouri. And then on New Year's Day, I'll definitely be watching. Yeah. Who's your team? Are you, are you a Penn State I, guy? Or are I, you? I mean, so I grew up in, in Pennsylvania and in the Philadelphia area. It's a pro sports town. But in Pennsylvania, there's only really one college football team to root for. And that is Penn State. And I grew up with Joe Paterno, who I thought was kind of done dirty a little bit uh, during the whole Sandusky case. But um, yeah, I kind of rooted on Penn State, but I kind of just like to watch college football for the pageantry of it, just because I love the game of football. And obviously it helps me once draft prep comes around. So I'll definitely be watching um, some of the big college games. You know, last night, it's not like I'm watching Arizona and Oklahoma um, because I got some other stuff to do. But when it comes to some of the upper, upper echelon games, I can't wait for Texas, Washington, and I can't wait for Michigan, Alabama. And I might go to that Ohio State Mizzou game tonight. I like Washington to beat Texas. I do really you? Do. All right. Yeah, I like that. I, I like yeah. Penix. I like, I like that coach. I like the way the Huskies are playing as far as this draft season. You know, if, if you're a Niner fan, um, is there some player that you think they ought to keep their eye on in these bowl games? I like kind of Quinion Mitchell, the corner from Toledo quite a bit. I like the safety Cameron kitchens from uh, Miami a lot. Um, Ed, I'm a big fan of Edron Cooper, the A&M linebacker Penix, of course, Chris Jenkins, from Michigan is a is one of my favorites. I don't know how many of these guys will play in these bowl games because some a lot of the best players sit it out. But um, you know, I'm looking for maybe some of the offensive tackles. Yeah. Um, you know, to you know, I'm not sure exactly if the Niners can get up high enough to get you know a, a big time offensive tackle. But I mean, I love J.C. Latham from Alabama. He's probably going in the top top dozen, and I love Taliesi Fuaga yeah. from Oregon State. Um, and they, I think, go today, right? And they just kick off against uh, against Notre Dame. Yeah, so I think you're uh, right. yeah, Notre Dame's up seven nothing in that game. There you go. Is is there a player in the college uh, bowl season that you're keeping an eye on for the Niners? Man, um, I don't know if there's a specific player, but after the 49ers just failed to address offensive line last draft, and with Trent Williams getting a little bit older, you're already awful at right tackle. I think San Francisco really for their organizational future needs to really address offensive line. And I think that you might need to get a future Trent Williams replacement who can maybe play right tackle soon um, and maybe take over next year for Colton McKivitt. So I'm looking at some of the tackles here. Unfortunately, like you said, I'm not sure if some of the good ones are going to be available for when the Niners pick 
in the first round. Amarius Mims out of Georgia, like his big board ranking is kind of in the 20s a little bit. So maybe San Francisco can use some of those compensatory picks because they have a bevy of them to kind of move up a little bit. RS said Xavier Worthy, you know. <sighs> if you go to the game tonight, Chase, uh, Missouri's offensive tackle, Biggs number 76, Javon Foster, okay. 6'5", 320 from Detroit. He's one of my favorite uh, offensive line prospects okay. that's not going in round one. He wears uh, 76. So look okay. for Javon Foster tonight for the Missouri Tigers. Yeah, so some play like you, you just got to get offensive line corrected, uh, especially if that's the reason why the Niners don't win another Super Bowl this year and if they get bounced early. Um, good stuff, man. Uh, what do you, when are you on later today? Yeah, I put out a, a playoff picture a little bit earlier with the Niners loss to the Ravens. Obviously things have tightened up a lot in the NFC playoff picture. And it looked as though going into Christmas, San Francisco for sure was going to get that number one seed, but with the Rams emergence, if the 49ers don't win out, their reality of getting the number one seed is dashed just a little bit, just because of the lions lingering and the Eagles lingering a little bit. So I took a look at that, and then we've got some more content coming out the rest of the weekend as well, and then we're back for another watch party on Sunday. All right, good stuff. Thanks to Pig and a Pickle. Thanks to New York-style Italian sausage, Marin Autoglass, uh, Underdog Fantasy, Mojo Fantasy. For Chase, I'm Larry. Have a great day, everybody. Peace. Yeah, never met a man I've been scared of. Careful, you won't get exactly what you